Hi guys, welcome to today's podcast uh, on the Africa we want. So today uh, I'm your host Christine and Chido and Becky. And today the topic we are discussing is on African resources and how African resources seem to be just uh, being battered or just traded out of Africa at such a great um in such great volumes and for such prolonged periods of time and comes the question then why is Africa still with all these resources coming from Africa why is it that there is still such poverty levels in Africa why is it that Africa is still spoken of as the poorest continent when you think about like the numbers and I'll speak a bit about it and then uh, Chido and Becky will also Chipping. So I was first of all reading from like different people who have written and tried to figure out what really is the problem. And like one of the reports I was reading from the UNESCO uh, digital library and they were speaking about the natural resources and the historical origins of inequality in Africa. And one of the very good things that they note is that uh, the control of natural resources and access to them is the basis upon which social classes and economic classes are formed in Africa. So to give an example is, in most African countries, there's a conflict on grabbing of land. Uh, so like the rich or the people who are in power, what they do is that they grab land, whether it's agricultural land, whether it's land uh, with minerals, whether it's, you know, like oil fields, what now happens is that there will be a lot of conflict about land grabbing. The person who has the, the upper hand tends to take the resources, and now that's how come like the social classes and the economic classes in Africa will be formed around that. So as a result, now what has happened is that there's these inequality levels that keep being perpetuated. This has been noted to come all the way from the colonial times, and Granted that this is a very common scenario, not just in Africa, but world over. It will be the owners of the capital who will be domineering and to form the upper class or the class that is controlling the economy. But in Africa, more so, when you look at the resources, is because you think that the natural resources should benefit the entire country, that they are owned by the people, they are not owned by a person. But now that's the problem because now you see like in Africa, one person wants to own the gold mines or one family wants to control the diamond mines or they're the ones who are controlling the oil fields. And so that's the basis on which like a lot of uh, like conflict also has a reason. Uh, and so there's, there's actual conflict amongst people, amongst communities, amongst tribes. And so there's this almost what has happened is that Africa is so resource rich and uh, from a uh, report by the Africa Development Bank, they are noting like Africa has between 30 to 40 percent of the world's resources. When you look at like uh, like Colbot is like uh, from DR Congo has like over half the known deposits of Colbot that exist in the world. DR Congo. The country is so conflict torn, you'll be surprised to know that they have such they are so resource rich. If you look like also the other thing to point is under the Africa Economic Outlook report by the Africa Development Bank for 2020, when you look at like the thing that uh, that that is noted time and time again, the biggest exports from from Africa 
are raw materials. Like for instance, when you look at most countries, like literally just picking a country, Botswana, diamonds um, are their biggest exports. Look at Angola, it's oil. Look at uh, Nigeria, there is oil. Look at South Africa, there is copper, there is diamond, there is coal. So, and look at most African countries, you see, like, they are exporting these resources. But then the question has always been, like, it's almost like the resources are going out, but there's no actual return that's being realized in Africa. So there's, there's this both uh, situation where the people who are actually owning these mines, who are grabbing these lands, who are doing this, are the class in Africa that's controlling, that's in control of these resources, who are like, mainly it's the people who are either the politicians in Africa, or they have some political control, so they tend to be able to oppress, remain uh, in, in the government, and still grab these resources. And the resources are just held within that class, therefore poverty levels still remain the same. So it's almost like the resources never quite flow down. So I would, I would like to hear, you know, like from Becky, uh, what are your thoughts on this? And I know constitutions of some countries, especially like uh, South Africa, from what I understand, is that the resources such as like the diamonds, the gold, and the, they, are, they are held by the people. They are held in trust for the benefit of the people of South Africa, like so that one person, doesn't matter who they are, they can't own the gold mines or the diamond mines in South Africa for their benefit. I, I'm sure our constitutions of other African countries may provide something of the same, you know, like say, like, uh, like land belongs to the people, but in reality, there is always like the people in power, the ones who are actually benefiting on this. So, uh, Becky, what are your thoughts on this, especially on these things that I'm, I'm noting? Do you have any results on it or uh, what's your view on this discussion? I think you've actually touched on the main nerve points. Uh, the first being the irony of Africa having so much yet deriving so little benefit from it. And I think there was something interesting that I picked up as I was reading. I think that Africa sort of suffers from what the investigative journalist Tom Burgess calls colonial hangover. So he describes these as a phenomenon where when the colonial powers were leaving, there were elites that rose up in several countries and they took up both political and commercial control in a way that there is very little dichotomy between what's political and what's commercial. And so they sought to consolidate all the benefit from, you know, if there is mining and if there is mining of any resources in that country, if it's land, to derive all the benefits for themselves. So for these people, they are more motivated. That like some of the deals that we see are like 100% very raw deals for the economies. But these are there are people that are signing off those deals. And I'll give an example of um, one of the biggest resources for Africa is fish, and especially how it's important to the West African economy. So there's currently concerns about what's being done. Uh, there's a lot of illegal uh, fishing going on in, in, in the deep seas. And some of the boat, some of the ships that come to, to, to fish are 100% illegal activity. But there are others, especially European ship that are not illegal. They have all, they have 
quote unquote all the papers. So these are deals that you find for some of them. Um, I think the European trawlers pay 8% of the total value of the fish they catch. Chinese trawlers pay about 4%. And you look at such things and you ask yourself, who even signs off such deals? Like what, in what universe does that make sense? I don't know much about, you know, economic policies and stuff, but in what universe does it make sense to sell anything at 4% of its value? And what we are talking about here is not like normal fishing. You're talking about trawlers that they sweep everything from the deep sea and carry everything, including the small fish and the, and the matured ones. So there is both for food and then the small ones are used for fish meal, for animal feed. And so this is jeopardizing livelihoods in West Africa because there are several countries that depend on, on, on that, on the fishing economy, both for like for food and, and employment in that ecosystem. Yet you have people within those countries who have the power to say nobody should come into our seas to do deep sea trolling, but they sign off these deals. It just reflects, there is no, like, I don't think at an international level, there is a, that, that kind of deal makes any sense, but it just says something about the people that are signing it off. There has to be some benefit that they're deriving from it that is, you know, under the table. So there is um, a lot of such things that they're not out that you can't i mean they're not documented you can't point fingers and say this is exactly what's happening in country a or country b but you just know that there are things happening uh, and the, the example of congo there is so such heavy exploitation of of the people that are working there so the people themselves are not benefiting because it's not even a source of employment it's a source of misery for the country literally so there's no benefit in terms of employment. There's no benefit in terms of money that, that the government derives from selling those, those, uh, resources because they're just leaving the country at like, for, for the country's not getting anything back. It's just the transnational companies. So there are deep-seated problems, which, uh, the, the budgets cause colonial hangovers. And I think what really should happen is and I think the problem is multifaceted because these elites they are not foreigners who are exploiting Africans. So I think the problem is multifaceted. It's it, there is complicity on the part of the people who are showing up in with with intention to exploit uh, the current situation and also the locals, the Africans who are selling out their own countries by first of all. Uh, either doing clandestine deals using national resources uh, in, in such a way that they derive all the benefit from it or signing off deals that are raw for the for the nation such as you know the country doesn't derive the, the, the value that they ought to derive from these from these resources so it's a multifaceted problem that cannot be solved say by the people that point fingers and say oh it's 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 African people's problems that they're the ones who are selling selling out their own people but both the person who's coming with the intention to exploit, and the one who agrees to the deal are, are, are both to blame. So I think it's a multifaceted problem that also would take like a multifaceted um, solution. That's quite interesting, Becky. And especially I think, you know, African leaders, it's almost, you know, like the example you gave about fishing and it's almost fishing with the 
young fish and literally just making the entire species extinct. It's almost like you're robbing your own self of your own resources. It's a deal where you you go to your own bank, rob your own account and just, you know, live with it. Another question that I have in my mind is who should be responsible, you know? The West is benefiting and a business uh, a business who is benefiting from fishing the high seas in Africa will not even have the slightest, you know, feel the slightest need to control their greed if, because that's what it is or by getting the best deal at 4% of the value of the fish without thinking twice about it or just like what's happening in Congo, at the very least build a road or something, develop the country, give people better better livelihood, give them schools. But such people will not like think about benefiting that community and you can look at it that that's not their community maybe because someone can just take the resources ship them out to the u.s for instance there are roads there there's electricity there they, they lose nothing but an african leader who is doing that and yet is going to drive through that road with potholes it's just it's self-defeating you know and this african leader you can say but they have the investments offshore but they have to be in the country driving through those roads living through whatever neighborhoods because they need to be present to control these resources. Anyway, it's just it's quite an interesting dilemma this one. So Chido, what are your thoughts on, on this whole discussion? Okay, thank you, Trish. Uh I think you guys have really pretty much summed up the whole issue. You have highlighted the, the inherent problems within the continent. Uh I think I'm going to comment from this standpoint that we are constantly quick to blame the Western countries for how impoverished our continent is, but we're not really looking within and actually uh, taking responsibility for some of the action. Because, number one, even if we want to, yeah, for argument's sake, say that the reason why Africa is in the state that it is being rich, the richest continent when it comes to resources, but being poor, like the poorest when it comes to GDPs and all these other things. Well, let's just say it has a lot to do with uh, the Westerners coming in and looting in from the continent. Quite all right, we've got instances of that. But what are we doing about it? Uh, are they coming in, tying us to poles and taking our resources and getting out of the continent, or we're actually playing a bigger part when it comes to that? So I like the point that uh, Becky mentioned about colonialism. And I'm, I was looking at it from this perspective that initially when okay, the, the primary goal for colonization was to come and get resources from Africa, it's like they had discovered this well of resources, natural, natural resources and raw materials. And quite right, they came here, they exploited. But the question becomes, what happened in African countries after they had attained independence? We had a newer vision of colonialism where we had the elite, as Becky rightfully stated, benefiting from natural resources exploitation at the expense of the whole uh, population at large. Right? Uh, in most African countries, they were what they were calling reform programs or indigenization programs or there was expropriation that was happening just right after colonialism or colonization, so to say, where Africans were actually pouncing and seizing farms, mines, and all these other, you know, wells of resources from the settlers. 
And the problem that happened ordinarily would 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 assume that uh, the moment that resources actually go back to the African to whom they're supposed to belong in the first place, there's going to be a change in, in sequence, like in, in this conversation that we're having. But it actually led to further exploitation because in as much as it seemed as if it was benefiting everybody else, who benefited ultimately were people in government, right? So well, I remember we, there was a time that we spoke about bad governance and leadership in Africa, and we were pointing out instances of how African leaders actually get to 90 and they're still in power. It has a lot to do with the fact that they are benefiting a whole lot from from natural resources, right? Uh, I will give you an example of, I'm, I'm sorry, I think we're going to single out DRC, where we where during the, the Kabila regime, we had an instance where they they decided to transfer natural resources ownership from the public to private enterprises. So what in essence was happening there, you would almost think that these private enterprises were independent of the government, but actually they were just entities that were under the Kabila regime. So they decided to take wealth from the state and give it to themselves <laughs> as private entities. Uh, if you try to look at most, I'm, I'm very, like, I, I, I'm very concerned about the status of mineral rights and ex, mineral rights or mining rights, uh, within most African countries. One thing that you not, that is very common in their ex is that, uh, the, the mineral rights in every, every African country are not owned by the people. They are owned either by the office of the president or the state, but being uh, under the authority of the office of the president. In countries like South Africa, where you actually have them amending their, their Mineral Rights Act to actually say that mineral rights are owned by the state. So in an instance where you have got an act that says that mineral rights are owned by the office of the president, like for instance in Zimbabwe, it becomes a, 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 a question of how then does the person who owns all mineral rights within that country, uh, how do they want to use them? Are they going to use them for their benefit or are they going to use them for, for the benefit of the country? We have got uh, well-known presidents in Africa who actually own three quarters of, of mineral rights within their own countries. I mean, <laughs> honestly. And most of these other um, resources that we end up talking uh, of being smuggled and all that, I actually don't think that they are being smuggled because they are benefiting the worst, but actually it's the same people that are in government that are looting from the same government and smuggling the resources out. So the black market, if, I, if we're being honest, actually thrives on Africa and particularly the elite in Africa, because those are the people that take stuff to the black market. Um, you would realize that there are a lot of secret deals or secret dealings that actually happen in Africa. Hey? Uh, there is an instance that is actually very funny where an Israeli businessman uh, was given or sort of forced a close friendship with the Democratic Republic uh, of Congo, and he was granted almost a monopoly on exporting the nation's diamonds, the nation's diamonds, like all the other diamonds that were being exported from DRC were being exported by him. And he quickly became a billionaire because, I mean, these are diamonds that we're talking about. And these are the diamonds that were supposedly 
being owned by private entities within the, the country. You've got uh, instances in Angola where there are so many uh, oppressive tendencies by the government on people because of oil reserves, right? Uh, I remember there was a time when I was still in undergrad, I had to to research on what was being called the Panama Papers scandal. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, where mm-hmm. an, a, a law firm in Panama uh, was sort of exposed it was it, it it had a lot of documents that were speaking to corrupt tendencies by most of the world leaders uh most of the prominent people that we know uh that are in the media industry because i know Jackie Chan was also mentioned there you know we've got presidents prime ministers of countries were implicated in that scandal so what the company would what the law firm would do is they would go to it and it would open offshore accounts it would also it would help them with with evading tax you know tax controls and all those other things there was racketeering there was money laundering that was being done through the law firm and it implicated a lot of african presidents and part of the revenue was actually from natural resources so if you if you look at it now it it it, it then just makes us realize that we can make all the noise we want about how the West is benefiting, but in actual fact, the problem is within. So before, and, and, and we have started this culture in Africa where the longer you wait to actually become president, the more corrupt you're going to be when you become president. What do I mean by that? We always try to have hope in these opposition parties, but in, we have got countries that uh, have opposition leaders getting into power finally and them proving to us that actually they were cut from the same cloth. So it then makes me feel like we need to actually have a whole system overall when it comes to the continent, when it comes to leadership. There should be strict accountability structures that have to be put in place to ensure that we actually start tracing all these other outflows of natural resources or value that are happening. Then we also have an instance where, I'm, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to that, where we have got the West actually being at the forefront of exploitation within the African continent. Uh, uh, this is particularly true when you look at uh, what the world being classified as FCV, uh, FCV countries like fri- fri- countries that are really with fragility, conflicts, and violence. So you have got your DRC, you've got your South Sudan, you've got Somalia. So when you look at those countries, it would seem that the global South actually benefits from the fragility state, from the violence and the conflict that are ha- that is happening in those countries because there is no accountability. People are not really worried about where the demons are going, where they the, where wildlife is going, everybody is pretty much concerned about their safety. So there, I've read uh, an article where they were actually suggesting that most of these other, especially rebel, rebel groups, are, are self-funded to ensure that their states continue failing and we continue having an outflow of resources from those states to the global south. So we have a situation where we own the resources, we own everything, that we have what we need, but we can't develop past that because number one, we have got people taking advantage of our situation, and number two, we have got leaders who are actually not in this business of being accountable. And you would realize that doesn't it beg a question, uh, Christine and Becky, that most countries that have got conflict uh, are the countries that are actually rich in, in in one natural resource or the other. We have got Nigeria that has got Boko Haram like as a terrorist group. 
uh, we have got South Sudan, we've got DRC, we, we have heard of blood diamonds, we have heard a lot of things within the continent. Um, even here in Southern Africa, we've got countries that are unstable because of the natural resources that they have. So I, I, I then feel like we also have a part to play, but we also need to put our foot down and say we've got zero, zero tolerance to interference because we can't turn a blind eye towards interference. There is so much interference that's happening within the continent. You know, I think you've spoken on the two angles very well, you know, like both on the what uh, people outside Africa are doing to continue to perpetuate this kind of poverty while you're rich. It, it's such a paradox because while you own all these resources, you're yet the level of poverty is are just mind-boggling. And if you look at, like, as you're speaking about that part of interference, like from the China-Africa Research Institute, in 2019, they note that the largest exporter to China from Africa was Angola, South Africa, and the DRC. And what is common? Angola, it's the oil, you know. South Africa, there's just a lot of... um a lot of whether it's coal, uh, copper, and there's a lot of resources there. And the DR Congo, it's cobalt, it's copper, you know. And these are the biggest exporters to China. And someone doesn't, and when you say exporters, I mean, it, what we're really saying is that there's this flow of these resources from outside these countries to to China, other than South Africa, who you can just compare and see that the, the economy is, you can't even compare the level of the South African economy to DR Congo. It, I mean, you can see there's just, there's just such, uh, no return of the match that's going out. And that's when you start asking the question, if these resources are going out and they are so valuable to the global value chains, uh, from like uh, making electric cars to phones to batteries, if they are so important to the global value chains, then why are why isn't DR Congo developing oil? Why isn't Nigeria? Why isn't Angola? I mean, they're the biggest economies in Africa, fair. But why are we not seeing them really exploding in development? Because these the things that are coming out of out of them are very important to the global value chains, and that's when you come back and ask. Then where does the money go to? And then you can trace it back to, uh, as Becky said, the elites, the politicians, the presidents, and, and the next person who is waiting in line to become the incumbent. They are just waiting to just, you know, like perpetuate the entire, the entire looting that exists. So I think these are very good, um, points that you, that we are making. I will let Becky make more comments and then Chido makes also like last comments, then we will end this uh, discussion and we'll pick it up at some later point. Becky? Um, I think I totally agree with, with this, with, with the pain points that Chido has, has raised and in, in that you have reinforced. I wanted to make a comment that there is actually, um, it's actually sort of the, the, the people who think that Obviously, the wars and the crisis in several of these countries is intentionally perpetrated. And there is an argument that it is important for, for crisis to continue in those countries for the world, for the global supply chain as we know it to be sustained. Because what it would mean to stabilize DRC, for instance, is the raw materials that they're producing You'll need to pay more 
for it. So what does that mean? So for example, something that cobalt that goes into batteries and several other other countries that are manufacturing other things that so let's just use the smartphone for an example. The things that are needed to assemble a smartphone, if you start paying what they are worth from an African country, the smartphone will not get to the end user for the same price that it's getting them for right now. And nobody wants to jeopardize the global supply chain and manufacturing prices. So there is a threat to, because the, the global, the financial system and the global supply chain as we know it was already built on these wrong values of we can cheat these countries and get the raw materials for basically nearly free. So you would have to undo the entire supply chain and manufacturing and build it properly based on proper values. So you would, the, who has time for that? Nobody wants to lose their industry and start from scratch. So it's not going to be a simple problem because number one, you need to correct the whole supply chain. How do you source for resources ethically? And then number two, you need to sort the financial system, system that enables these clandestine things to happen in a way that we can meet have an agreement and no money is exchanged within my country, all of it, or you pay my USD to an offshore account. So you need the, the world financial system to be transparent and to make sure that these kind of uh, operations are harder to make or there are less incentives for, for it to happen. And also you need to sort out the globe, you need to put, pull, pull apart the whole global supply chain and build it again, like afresh, based on proper values. So it's not, the healing of this problem is not going to be um, an easy one because the whole supply chain was from the beginning built on wrong values of exploiting the, the, the people that are producing the raw materials. Wow. Uh, thank you so much, Becky, for giving us this perspective. I actually had never looked at it from that perspective. And it seems so selfish and self-centered. I mean, it's crazy because when you start looking at the effects of the conflict continuing in those countries, which then makes me understand because I was, I think last year, end of last year, I was looking at conflict-fested areas within the Asian region and how you've got most countries not really paying attention to what's happening in them. You talk of Myanmar, I don't know the names of their difficult, but the thing is, you would obviously expect the global community, isn't it? We say we are part of a global community or a global village to actually, you know, try to look at the root cause and try to initiate peace settlements and all those other things. But their efforts are actually ill-fated. And now you have given me a broader perspective as to why also it, it's like that. Because if you really look at most of these countries, for real, that have got issues of uh, conflict and violence, they actually are the biggest exporters of something that is significant on the global market. I just wanted to point out about, um, you know, when I think you mentioned something about South Africa being maybe one country that is a bit doing better within the continent. And I wanted to say it has a lot to do with um, the structures within the country. Before we even go to accountability and whether it works or not, let's talk about who owns the economy in, in South Africa? You know, there is political freedom for the black South African, but there's not really so much of economic freedom. And I think it's so sad because it serves as an example 
to support it has always been used as an example to support uh this imperialistic view that as Africans we can't govern ourselves, we can't control ourselves, or we can't um we can't hold each other accountable. Because what happened if you try to read the history of South Africa, you'd realize that when they got their independence, they pretty much got political independence. But when it comes to economic independence, not so much of it and the economy in South Africa is actually run by white South Africans. And obviously, a person who has got money wants to see how their money is being used, where it's going to. That's why they always try to have these accountability uh, accountability structures. But you'll be very, you'll find it very surprising that even the people in government still find means to circumvent the controls that are there. Because if you look at the corruption indexes, like South Africa ranks way higher in in, in Africa. But in terms of economic development, it is a lot to do with the fact that who controls the economy. So I feel that we, we, we really have to try and separate the economy from the politics of the day in most African countries for us to actually see things moving. The people who have got economic interests should by no means have political interests. That's the way we get, because then they are going to force the government to be accountable, right? A person who gets into politics Basically, it's supposed to be a public servant, right? You can be a teacher for all we care and then just be president. The people that actually control, like the people that have got the wealth or the people that have got businesses, the people that have got, what, you know, entrepreneurs are the people that are supposed to be holding public office holders accountable and actually not being public holders, public office holders. And I, I, I don't know how we can do that. I remember reading a story uh, that happened in Europe about uh, a minister who went to buy coffee and mistakenly, according to her, swiped for that coffee using, I think, a, the card that she uses uh, in her capacity as minister. And she got fired for $7, like $7 worth of coffee. They had to be like, no, this is how it starts. So look at it. We have got people who are being held accountable for as little as $10, right? And then we have got people who are not being held accountable for more than... Um, let's just say 2 trillion that has gone out of Africa so far. So I, I feel like we really need to start taking accountability issues seriously as people because if we don't do that, I fear that uh, anything is possible within our continent. Chido, thanks so much for those comments. I think in the next discussion, for sure, we need to have a discussion, especially what you noted about South Africa, like the the people who are in power, in the political power, and the people who are controlling the economy, there needs to be a separation. I think that's the only explanation you can have for why the South Africa economy is, despite the corruption, the state capture commissions one after the other, despite almost all the scandals that you've seen in South Africa, the economy still keeps running. And maybe we just need to do a case study on that and just see what other lessons for African and African countries can can take from that. But the the honest truth is that African countries really, really are not helping themselves in any way when it comes to how they're dealing with their resources. It's as if the resources will never be exhausted, but much more thought needs to be put into that. Uh thanks a lot, Becky, for joining today and Chido. And everyone, thanks a lot for listening. We will do a second part on this, uh, but share your comments and your thoughts on this so that we can pick up and make the discussions more relevant. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Bye.